Hello and welcome to the Alternative Path with me, David Robson. A pretty special one for, for this week. I came across um, a guy called Paul Hannaford on Twitter. Um, I have to say, like Paul's, Paul's been through a, a hell of a journey. Um, spent some time as a youngster in a pupil referral unit before coming, uh, becoming an addict uh, to drugs, uh, which then led to some crime and some time in prison. Paul, I'm, I'm pretty honoured to, to have you on, if I'm honest, but um, just start by giving us a bit of a bit of an intro to who you are and, and what you're about. Yeah. Hi, thanks for, thanks for asking me, David. Yeah, thanks, Paul Hannaford. Um, um, as you just said it, really, it's like I've experienced a lot um, and it was all like preventable or possibly preventing it from what happened to me, you know. Um, I start getting involved with drugs at quite a young age, recreational cannabis, um, too involved to the fact where by the time I get to year nine, I'm so obsessed with smoking cannabis, I get chucked out of school and end up in alternative provision. Then it weren't called a PRU. Years ago, they called it um, intermediate treatment. Same sort of basis as today. So I turn up at this school and there's about 50 of us, all different boys from all over London, Essex, some girls there. And to be honest with you, it was like a bomb going off. You've got all these characters, 90% of us like smoking weed or cannabis then. So would you expect it's, uh, it's uh, quite dysfunctional? So the next thing I know, I'm 15, I'm running around, no more school. I should be year 11 studying for my exams. I've got a great big knife in my pocket. I've picked up loads of convictions. I've been to prison three times. I'm getting bored with cannabis. I'm now taking LSD, you know, um, amphetamines. And I thought for the rest of my life, that's what I was going to do, you know? It's like, okay, I was going to prison for a few months and <clears throat> I'm with a gang and the gang I'm obsessed with and, you know, there's fights. You know, quite dangerous, some of these fights. You know, people, I never stabbed anybody, but I've seen people stabbed. <clears throat> so then what happens? I get a little bit older and I think, this is going to be the life I'm going to lead. You know, I'm going to be a, like, a gangster. I was totally deluded. But, you know, this is a lifestyle I was heading towards or hoping to head towards. But I remember when I was young and I used to see addicts, heroin addicts. The word alone in my circle, I'm drinking in pubs now, I'm with a gang still, we're all smart. We all do different sorts of crime. Nothing major, but we get a living. And I just look at these heroin addicts and look down my nose at them. They're filthy, dirty, injecting with needles, rotten teeth, don't wash. Completely different to what I am. So I thought, I'm smart. I've got me, you know, my nice clothes and my diamond ring and all that, whatever goes with that lifestyle. One of my gang members went to prison, come out of prison while I was in jail. He tried it and he kept it very quiet because that was, a, you know, he, that, that's humiliating. And me knows we're going to absolutely ruin him. And he confided in me one night. He was in his flat and he said, yeah, I've tried it in jail. Anyway, you end up getting some. I'll never forget it. You got this bit of tinfoil, we're smoking it. And uh, it got me that night in that flat in London. I'll never forget it. I knew this drug had, had me that night. Got me. I thought I was in heaven. You know what, David? It was hell. It was a gates to hell. I had no idea how powerful this drug was. I never touch weed again. I never drink alcohol when I'm out there every day smoking heroin. I lost a lot of weight. In one year, I lost five stone. I stopped brushing my teeth. My gang got nothing to do with me. And I'm now one of them guys I took down my nose at. I'm not in the street begging. I'm out thieving every day. You know, I've been a thief all my life until I got clean. 
So what do I do after a year? I'm waking up and crack things. I promise you now, in every town centre, I don't care how posh or private or lovely it is, there's a crack den. So now I'm waking up with women and men in this drug den. Some of them I know, some I don't. Different drug dens all over Essex and London. These women have been out all night selling their bodies, some of them. They turned to prostitution. Um, all the other guys are out shoplifting and we're sharing needles. And it's filthy, dirty, blood everywhere, needles. And it's disgusting. You know, I look and I think, how have I got here? Then what happens? My legs start to get infected. I'm not sure if you've seen the pictures on my website, my yeah, legs. Yeah. So my legs start to get infected and now I'm dressing with nappies and it got to the point where I'm absolutely desperate and I'm out thieving every day. I've got still hundreds of, you know, I've got to earn 500 pounds a day. I've got still 2,000 pounds worth of stuff. So this is my life now for the next 15 years. I'm either waking up in a crack den on the sofa. I haven't washed for weeks. I haven't changed my clothes. There's no hot water, no toothpaste, probably tea bags and that's it. You know, you have a cup of tea and a crack bin, big bag of sugar, and that's it. And then I found that, you know, my family started to suffer. You know, at this point, I had a girlfriend, I left her, you know, when she was pregnant. And my mum no longer sees me. And walking down the street one day, and my mum walks past me, doesn't recognise me in the street because I'm so unwell and skinny. I just ate stone in the end. In just four years, I was eight stone. But I'm, 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 people are dying around me. Yeah, I'm, people are actually dying. I'm getting cracked in. I said, oh, you're the time or Bill. And said, they're dead, they're overdosed. What about him? He's dead, dead. And I'm still going every day. And my legs are getting worse. They're down to the bone now. I've got to put nappies on them because I've got no bandages. So I have to get sellotape and put these nappies around my legs. It's infected. It stinks. So it got to a point where my legs got that bad that I couldn't walk anymore. So how do I get my money for my drugs? I can't run around shops. You know, so I started to rob drug dealers. Not a great idea. Not a great idea. Please believe me. You can only rob so many dealers. So I'm robbing a few, getting away with it. And then one night I robbed a dealer. I didn't realise the stuff I'd robbed was pure heroin. Went to a drug den instead of McDonald's. I'm only going to have a quick fix. Lucky I did. Injected myself, bang. Overdose and he died. Pure heroin. Lucky enough, you have a drug addict. and normally leave you for dead. Call the ambulance. So I wake up. The paramedics over me. Saved my life. Took me to hospital. And the doctor went to me. Uh, yeah, you're in trouble. I'll get your blood test. You've got a few days to live. Blood poisoning. You know, pneumonia. I was, I was, I was 48 hours from death. So what I do, push the doctor out of the way, grab my clothes, leave and go to the crack thing. So I left the drugs there when I overdosed. And I thought, well, I'm going to die. But I thought past the police station. Somehow I looked at this police station, which I hated the police years ago. Now they get me to do talks with kids. And I had a choice, go to the crack thing, die, walk into the police station. You know, I humiliated myself in that police station for many years, doing some terrible things to myself. Mm. You know. So this place that I've never, the last place in the world I want to go is this police station. And I hobbled in there with my bad legs, with blood in my shoe. And I begged them, I said, please help me. You know, quite shocked. So they arrest me, take me to the hospital, keep me four days, save my life. Take me to court in South End, funny enough, in Essex. But now I'm in a wheelchair, I can't walk because my legs are bad. Really bad. They bandaged them up in the hospital now before they took me to court. And the judge looked at me, went six months in prison. And I've been in the prison system for many, many years. I've been jailed 15 times. So I went to Chelmsford Prison, not far from where you are. Yeah. First person you see when you go to jail is a doctor. The doctor looked at my leg. He went, no way, you can't come in here. We can't cut your leg off. So he sent me to a hospital, Broomfields. So my leg cut off in Chelmsford. Handcuffed me to the bed just about to cut my leg off. And another doctor suggested they put maggots in my legs. You might have seen them on the website. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I looked and I went, what? She said, yeah, I'm going to put all maggots in your legs. And they put all these maggots in my legs and it was horrendous. Five days, they were chewing the flesh. The bandage comes alive. I can't go anywhere. But at this time, you've got to remember at this point, I'm handcuffed to a bed with guards watching me every day. Anyway, as time went on, I saved my legs. I finished my prison sentence. They took the handcuffs off and left after 12 weeks. They went, you're free. I went, I ain't got nowhere to go. They said, we don't care, you're not a problem. Then a nurse came into my room and said, you've got to leave now. No one come to visit me. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I've got in my locker next to my bed, my whole world was in that locker, one pair of trainers and a tracksuit. Well, I got arrested in. And I remember one of the nurses washed it for me because when I got arrested, it was bloodstained. You know, she, bless her. And that was it. So where do I go now? I've got no home because of drugs, addiction. I've got no family because of addiction. I've got no money. I've got no job, no wardrobe, no phone, no email, no social media. I have nothing. The clothes on my back. Drugged in. If I do, I'm going to die. So I managed to find out one of my friends went to a rehab many years ago up in Somerset. So I got hold of him and I phoned him up from the hospital and I managed to get his number and I said, Larry, I'm desperate. Can I come down to the rehab where you was? He went, it ain't easy as that. You can't just walk into a rehab, you know. But he made a few phone calls for me. And he phoned me back and he went to me, I've got a bed for you in the rehab, but it's not for five days. And I went to him, I ain't got five days. I've got only something to go now, now. He went, I can't do no better than that. It's impossible. So I called a nurse in. I sort of half begged her. I said, look, I've got a rehab to go to, but it's not for five days. And she sat there and looked at me and she was a senior nurse, the sister. And this decision saved my life. She went, you can stay for five days. You know, she didn't have to do that. And she let me stay in that bed and they fed me and watered me for five days. They took care of me, let me shower. And that decision, I think, saved my life. Five days later, I'm in a rehab in Somerset. Got there, it's such a relief. My legs are still bad, by the way. You know, still bandages up. They've, they've healed 50%. And I think I cried for a week, you know, it's such a lie. I've just found somewhere where I didn't have to go and do that stuff to myself anymore, inject myself 50 times a day and out thieving. And, you know, it was, it was like, and so I had to do some work on myself, therapy in the rehab. And I met addicts and alcoholics and I stayed down in Somerset. I was in that hospital still quite a bit, but I stayed in Western Supermare for about four years. After a year of rehab, I got a flat. And do you know what, David? At the age of 37, yeah, I got clean. I walked into his flat and it was the first property, first place I'd ever managed to say was mine. And I shut the door and went in there and there's some furniture, no bloodstains anywhere, no needles, clean and tidy. It was my flat and it was like, wow, this is, it was just, I've blown away, you know. Then I'd start paying bills. I never paid a bill until I was 37. You know, I remember I got my first electric bill and I thought, where do I pay this? I didn't know where to pay it. You know, and I said, someone said, go to the post office. So anyone else doesn't pay it then, you know, back then, 14 years ago. This is how, this is how, you know, disconnected I was from life. So I started to make amends to my family. My mum forgive me. Um, then I thought, what am I going to do in my life, you know? And uh, um, remember I'd said I had a girlfriend years ago. And uh, her name was Joanne, and I got her pregnant when I was about 23. I was on and off the gear. She took me back, and I left her. I mean, she was about to give, you know, three months or four months from giving birth. And I remember she came out of prison to visit me once. I was in jail a few months later, and, you know, she came all the way from Essex to London to visit me. 
and uh, it was a real hot day. She walked in the visit hall in a prison and she looked great. And, you know, she begged me. She said, look, you get out of prison next week. Will you move in my flats? I promise. You get a job. Yeah, I'll never take drugs again. You know, I was desperate to get out and live a different life. Anyway, she walked off. I said, I'll see you next week. And she's all excited. I get out a week later and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> I walk out the prison gate. And she's waiting for me to go and visit her, move in with her. I go to an off-license to buy one can of beer for the journey. An hour later, I'm in a drug den. Two hours later, I'm back out robbing, committing crime, down the West End, shoplifting, and never turned up. You know, that's a mental illness. That's, that's alcoholism addiction. You know, I'm clean and sober. I leave the prison. I walk out the prison gate with my girlfriend, who I love at the time. She's got my daughter in her belly. And I go off and have one can of beer, and it sets me off. I'm gone again. You know, that's alcoholism. And she got brought up by another man. My daughter, she got brought by another man, you know, my ex met someone else. So anyway, so 10 years ago, I'm in rehab in Somerset. What do I do in my life? My legs ain't great, but they're better. I'm a career criminal with lots of convictions. Okay, I don't commit crime anymore. I don't drink, I don't take drugs. Who's going to give me a job? My CV, if I give you an application form, you know, 60 convictions, can't read and write properly, you know, physically impaired to a certain degree. Who's, who, who's going to employ me? What can I do? I can't go out digging holes all day or scaffolding, so my legs are bad. You can't sit me in office because I don't have a computer. I can't read and write. I'm unemployable, ain't I? I'm unemployable I, on, on some people's, you know, on paper. Do you know what? Just um, flat, completely absorbed in your conversation, firstly. And, you know, I think I said to you at the beginning, I'd, I'd kind of, since I first spoke, first spoke to you, I'd, I'd put a bit of time and watched some videos you'd done before. So kind of, watched listen to that that kind of journey you'd been on and you're right you know that's to, to, the bit that really got me when I listened to your uh, I think it was another podcast you'd done and you talked about the bit of your um, your then girlfriend being pregnant and you then making that decision and then fast forward there's a bit further where you saw your daughter walking out of the school which you might go into later that yeah that's like, no, yeah. so so powerful and I think anyone who but the whole point in this podcast is to like help kind of raise awareness for for what other people like society in my opinion is so focused on looking at um results uh and end a, a grade a um judging someone on on what they are now rather than looking at what journey they've been on like to go through to go through all that stuff and you know like you know you, you were unwell you were you were an, you're an addict you were you're unwell you're, you know that's you know there's different types of illnesses isn't it you were you were unwell mm. like to go through that and to kind of get to where where you are and talk about it like you do I, I just kind of before we go into the kind of education piece I just I just think it's remarkable to kind of and the the kind of grit and determination to to get from dare I say it, being at rock bottom. So, mm. well, days away from death and and, yeah. and going through all that, and you know, all these years later, I'm still not off the hook. Fourteen years clean and sober last month, I still go and have blood tests because the blood clots in my legs. I take my medication every day. I've got needles stuck in my body. I've got holes in my legs that still are open. They've not healed up. You know, I'll, and that's fourteen years clean. You think, oh, you'd be all right by now? No, I'm not all right. I'm better, but I'm not all right. And as you said, you know, this is like tick a box, target.
targets, targets, academics, 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 academics. Ac Where's the personal well-being, personal, social, economic health, citizenship, life outside the school gate where all this went on for me and it's going on for many more? Where's the care there, the awareness? So, yeah, so what happens? I uh, go back to Essex 10 years ago and I have this idea that I'm going to educate children about my past. But you know what? I emailed schools, they were ignoring me. And well, right, rightly so, who am I? I've got no portfolio, I've got no website, they have no idea who I am. So I've got in touch with local council, they got me into a youth club. The youth club kids went back to their school the following day, told the head teacher, I have no idea about this. The head teacher goes to the council, who's this Paul guy? Because a few of our students have come from the youth club yesterday and they said they was inspired by him. So I get invited to a school, my first ever school in Essex in Rainham, 200 kids. I'm terrified. I've just spoke to 10 on the Friday in the youth club. On the following Friday, I'm in this great big school of 200, like year nine. And then another school got in touch and another school and another school. Next year, I'm in Scotland, Wales, Ireland, all over the country. Now I'm up to 500,000 children in 10 years. You know, 500,000. That, that, you know, like, to, like, with going through what you've, you've been through, like, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, but what better person to educate people on the negative side of, of, of drug addiction, of, of drugs, starting at um, marijuana or weed, I think you said it was, mm. what better person to stand in front of young people and, and talk about it and like you say like there's so much there's so much stuff going on in society isn't there whether it's uh, like county lines knife crime drug addiction mm. you know and there's all this stuff bubbling away and we're like do we educate do we like i don't remember anyone educating me in my in my of course life. not I'm, I'm exactly the same i don't remember anyone educating educating me and you know we educate people in primary school uh, about sex education you know what about this sort of stuff you know there's so much stuff going on isn't there so much stuff about uh, county lines knife crime gun crime gangs like we need to start doing more preventative preventative work don't we and that's got to start like how, how far back do we go like you you know you you know much more about it than, than i do like what what's the answer like what there is, there is no magic wand. There is no answer. But we've got to look at the individuals, these people who work with children, and it's their job, safeguarding. Let's look at safeguarding. You know what safeguarding is? Clearly, yeah. you must do it. Yeah. 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 Safeguarding should be at the top of every person's list, every school's list, safeguarding. Look it up, what the government says about safeguarding, or NSPCC, yeah? It's to protect children from harm. So you're telling me county lines ain't harmful, addiction, alcoholism's not harmful, knife crime's not harmful, gangs are not harmful. Where does that not come into harm? So if you're clearly got kids in your care from year seven to 11, five years, and this is going all the time, and you don't get someone in to come and speak to them about what's going on in the world that may harm them, is that not a form of probably incompetence or neglect? Are you, are, you, are you leaving these kids vulnerable? Are you genuinely caring about them? You know, we've got to look, we've got, we've got to go beyond academics here because we know that there's a problem and the problem's getting worse. So if it's getting worse, then we need to tackle it at an early age before it even starts. 
you know, I've been emailing many schools. Some get back to me. There's some fantastic head teachers out there. You know, primary and secondary, they get me in every year without foul. But there are many, many more who don't. And I'm not saying they don't get me individually because I'm the only person that should be doing this. There's lots of organisations that go into schools. But, you know, I've got, I've got kids asking me on social media or young people, you know, why don't you come to my school? We've had a drug awareness talk, but it's been from a teacher. Um, we've just, what do they know about that? You know, kids want to hear hard-hitting, proper stories, blood and guts. I show the kids images of my legs, the blood, the scars. You know, it's, it's got to be impactful. It's no good just ticking a box and saying, oh, yeah, we've done a workshop with the kids, a geography teacher or a history teacher, done a drug awareness talk with them. It's, it's not, you know, I'm not saying it's not going to work. But come on, we've got to look at impact here. Are you doing more harm than good by letting a maths teacher give kids drug education. You know, I had a message earlier from my mother, I've done a workshop this morning. She said her daughter's had a talk at school, year nine, from a teacher. She said, we, we didn't got nothing from it. We, we didn't, you know, we, we looked at her and said, well, you know, she teaches us academics. What does she know about drugs? So as you said, it has to be hard hitting from someone who knows what they're talking about and that early stuff, not just, look at the, look at the death of that boy. We explained it earlier in Reading. Okay, no one knows the full circumstances. I've got some, yeah? I've got some information about it. He's 13 years of age. On a Saturday afternoon at four o'clock, he gets stabbed to death by another 13-year-old and three others. One of them a girl, by the way. You've got to remember, just two years ago, 24 months, they were in primary school in year six. Yeah? Definitely not carrying a knife then. So have we missed a beautiful opportunity to go and educate these year six? Has anybody asked any questions and said, have these kids been given knife crime workshops? Yes or no? They might have, they might not have. I don't know. I'm not judging anybody here, but I'm just trying to say, have we missed a beautiful, fantastic opportunity to get these kids just 24 months before this speech about knife crime and that incident to have not happened two weeks ago? We'll never know, will we? You know, and I go to prison and speak to lifers, murderers. I go all over the country. As well as speaking to hundreds of thousands of kids, I speak to many hundreds of boys in prison who have been involved with stabbings and killed others. And when I leave them, just before I leave, I ask them a question. As you just said it, did you ever talk about knife crime when you were young? No, 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 no. Constantly, no, nothing, nothing, nothing. So some of these fatal stabbings, some of them, not all, are preventable with early intervention. So we're missing a point here. So anyway... My job today, as you know, I go all over the country educating kids. I go to lots of primary and secondary schools and I've got a great job. And as I said, you know, I'm not pointing the fingers at anybody or judging anyone whatsoever, but I strongly believe if you're part of a senior leader team and you honestly think that kids, given them maths and English, history, PE, is going to keep them safe from addiction, alcoholism, county line and gangs, then you're deluded. You have no idea what you're doing. You have got to get them spoken to, just even if it's one workshop, even if it's one, it's better than doing absolutely nothing, you know? And as I say, I'm really lucky today, as you know, I've got my daughter. So I come back to Essex 10 years ago and I, I look her up on social media, find a platform and she's got a stepdad and I see her walking around with him one day and I was like, gutted, you know? She's out shopping with him. Then I get invited to a school called Sacred Heart or Girls School. It's my daughter's school. And she weren't meant to be in that day. She's at another school doing work experience. I walk out the gate and there she is, walking towards me, come back for lunch, just me and her on the street. I was terrified, introduced myself. And she gave me a hug and we spoke and she walked back into school and it was the best day of my life. You know, so I wrote her a letter, posted it. 
explain about my past. I'd love to see her again and put my number on there, my address. And I didn't get a reply for two weeks. I didn't think she wanted to see me. Why would she? She's got a dad now. Mm -hmm. Unknown to me and her and her mum, my ex was on holiday. And I got a phone call on day 15 and my ex went to me, do you want to take her out for something to eat? And now I'm a responsible father. I pay bills. I don't commit crime anymore. I pay my taxes. I work alongside the police. I educate doctors, nurses, all them people that were taking care of me in my darkest hour, I now educate. Yeah, so I can go in as primary school on a Monday and educate year four, five, and six. You see the pictures on my Twitter, yeah? Mm. Year four, eight. And then the following day, I've been in prison with lifers, being considered about drugs and knife crime. And then the day after that, I've been in a rehab with 70-year-olds. I've been to rehabs where they've been like 16, 70-year-olds, grandparents that have had a lifelong battle with drug addiction, alcoholism, and I'm trying to tell them how I got clean and sober. We're all teachable. How can mm. I go from speaking to eight-year-olds to 70-year-olds in a space of two days about the same thing? Yeah, such a like, wide subject, isn't it? It's not just like you know, it's all of us. But I'm just trying to say, how do I stop these kids? I don't stop all of them. But if you want any evidence of what I do, if it works, then look at my Instagram, my Twitter, my Facebook. Look at the comments I get from the kids. If you want to measure, you know what impact I have. Do a case study. It's there in black and white. You just let me speak to these kids, and I will give them something serious to think about their future. So I have two jobs to do. David, yeah, with a child. Every kid's going through a minefield. Your kids will go through it. You went through it. Every human being goes through a minefield. I call the minefield the uh, the drug and alcohol situation. You know, when you were 10, you was going to parties and you was ice cream and jelly, yeah? Ring a ring of roses. 36 months later, there's alcohol and drugs on the scene when you're 13, 14, yeah? You know there is. So what I'm trying to say is, is that your children will go for that minefield. But the minefield today of drugs is different. It's like it's like ketamine and that lean and, and you know, really, really addictive, powerful drugs. So if I can stop a kid from waking up in the doorway and begging because they become addicted to heroin or crack, and if I can stop a kid from stabbing someone to death and waking up in a prison cell for the rest of their life, and they can get off and go into college and get a job like you did, then we've done our job, haven't we? It's just nurturing these kids from a very young age, from 11, 12, 13, right up to 18. And then if we can get them to 18, and if we can get a kid to 18 and they've not joined a gang, they don't carry a knife, they're not abusing drugs or alcohol, then they've got a 99% chance of going off and doing something decent. It's just nurturing them through them years. And I think we should give kids workshops in year six, year eight, and year 10. Three hard-hitting workshops. So when they get to the average age, 15, when it's most common age of knife crime, gangs and drugs and alcohol abuse, then they've been made aware of consequence. And as I said, you know, there's more drugs on our street than ever, than ever. So that's making every child vulnerable, every child, you know? So the only way we stabilise this ever-growing problem is someone with experience to go in and sit in front of these young kids and give them a hard-hitting story and as I said, I've got stuff on YouTube, kids watch it. There's stuff on my website, all the pictures of the maggots and the blood in my legs. If, 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 that's, if that works, it works. But at least it's physical to them to see. I'm not just a voice here. They want to see the scars and the blood. And it's like, you know, wow, this could happen to me. You cannot, it's impossible to stab someone if you don't carry a knife. Impossible. Impossible. You cannot become a heroin addict if you don't take heroin. You know? And I don't say it's okay to take any drug. I say it's a risk of all drugs, you know? I remember being in a school when a boy put his hand up and he went, 
fair play to him. He was 14, 15, year 10. And he went, yeah, I said, oh, you know, I want to I'll smoke a bit of weed. This is in front of the whole school. And a few people laughed and the teachers looked down their nose and thought, well, that's brave of him, you know. He probably got a detention after. But <laughs> I asked him what he wanted to do for a job. And he said he wanted to be a pilot for British Airways. And I went, you joking, didn't you? I said, you think you're going to get in the cockpit of an aeroplane but testing you for drugs? <laughs> you know, I said, like, you get tested for drugs. Anyway, I got a message of him a week later told me to stop smoking it. That's not all about drug addiction, is it? It's about certain consequences from taking certain drugs. That's all. We're not saying everybody who takes drugs becomes a drug addict. We're not saying everyone who drinks alcohol becomes alcoholic. We know social drug using and social drinking is bigger than addiction to alcoholism, but there are more than ever now falling into the addiction. I put something on Twitter earlier, you know, addiction amongst young people now, you know, has gone up through the roof. So yeah. I'm about one thing and one thing only. It's about education, harm reduction, and better futures. Not these kids now. I see them 2021 20, outside shops wrapped in sleeping bags. That's someone's son or daughter. They shouldn't be doing that. They should be at university studying. It's just a society we live in today. We never stop it. But we need to stabilize it. But it's not stable. It's growing. It's more, 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 more. I work with lots of police forces, and you know, they tell me that knife crimes through the roof, addictions through the roof, gang involvements through the roof. Well, if this stuff is rapidly rising year after year, and then we're going to think, wow, man, what are we going to be in 10 years in with this? A kid's going to be wearing stab-proof vests for school. You know, they're going to be blazers made of knife-proof stuff. You know, or is, it, is it going to be that bad? You know, we, 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 we want a nice community, don't we, for kids to grow up and be safe. Your kids, you know, we want them to grow up and feel safe in their community and go to a decent school and choose their friends wisely. And uh, yeah, today I'm really grateful. You know, I'm extremely grateful that, that, that if I can get 10 head teachers to watch this podcast in the next month or two or week or three, or, you know, three head, 10 head teachers at 10 secondary schools or primary, and they invite me in, that's 10,000 children I can speak to in 10 days. I mean, it sounds big numbers, but that's how simple it is. And it's like the first thing that popped into my head there was it's, I'm not taking it like what you're doing isn't simple so i'm not mm. saying it's simple but that process is simple isn't it and it you know that like yeah it, and you know i'm sure there are going to be there's always going to be some people who are open to yourself coming in and having those talks there's always mm. going to be those that aren't and i just like you say it's everyone Everyone knows there's a problem with with drug addiction, county county lines. Just talking about county lines is, is massive. Is ma massive. I would say, um, you know, it's 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 massive. Me and my wife watched a um, a short film on on it that I think a social worker had uh, created, and it's it's shocking. No, it's 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 terrible, and it kind of goes on, goes on, goes on everywhere, doesn't it? And you know, getting the 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 cost of educating young people through someone like yourself going into a school versus the cost of not educating people mm. and then people becoming yeah. addicts people committing criminality yeah. falling out of education whatever it might be the cost of that is so much greater than the cost of yeah. you know having yeah. people like yourself going into the school and I cure prevention you know you go back cure prevention you're talking you yeah. wow Let's, let's send someone to prison for 15 years for murder. Let's send them 15 years. They've got to serve 15 years. So what does that cost the taxpayer? You know, not short of £700,000. 
one one young man or woman goes to prison for stabbing someone to death. So you know, seven hundred thousand pound. You know, so when I'm going to schools and I'm speaking to a thousand children in a day, five one hour assemblies, you know, and I'm putting most of them off ever thinking of carrying a knife, you know, and I'm doing that day after day after day. Clearly, clearly, I'm not just saving lives, which is my main, you know, main thing I do is save lives. Then I'm making society, I don't know, less, you know, that 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 harm in society, that, you know, the amount of money it costs to, to, for addiction and knife crime, and it's billions a year. Yeah. Just invest a little bit of it. We're not saying, you know, I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm saying a tiny fraction of that will bring that figure down and it will save lives. Yeah, like I say, and not to, like, there's, there's the cost side of it, but there's also yeah. the absolute heartbreak, isn't it? That it Massively. It... As I said, look, you know, I've been in this game since I was 13. I'm 51. So I had 23 years of alcoholism, addiction. Knife crime, gun crime, homelessness, self-harm, and mental health. 23 years of that I had, yeah? And now I'm 10 years into education, like yourself. So, as I said, it's a numbers game for me. Them days I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs week after week before COVID come along. And, you know, these schools are aware of me because a lot of schools follow me on social media, but they still don't want to get me in. But And then they see all the other schools posting stuff, as you've seen. And you think, come on, you don't see the news. You can't, is it not, is it not registering that these kids are in your care and they're vulnerable? You know, PSHE, how important is it? Personal, social, economic health. As far as I know, that's outside the gate. Personal, social health. Mm. Everything to do with county line, gangs, alcohols, addiction, personal, social health, outside the gate, not inside. We're not talking about academics here. I've met some very bright people in drug dens extremely intelligent with degrees when a private boarding school from very wealthy backgrounds and i've met the other side where they've come from an affluent single parent you know all different walks of life mm. you think addiction cares about that you think these county line gang members care where these kids are from because they don't they're, they're, they're ruthless you know they, and yeah. what they do is none of my business by the way you know these gang members county line drug dealers you know that's their business my business and my job is to do one thing, get an invite from a school, a pro, a primary school, a football club, turn up, deliver my message and give these kids an insight into choice and consequence. Because, as I said, there's no discrimination here. I've used all walks of life, all religions, male and female. You know, every young person is extremely vulnerable and that is why we must step up to the plate put our egos and bank balances to one side. Don't worry, they're safe. And concentrate on the kids. Because it's not about me. It's not about the head teacher. It's about the children. Oh, do we, do we care enough about them? As I said, you know, don't think because you go to a private posh school, yeah, that you're not, you know, this can't, this can't, what happened to me can't happen to them. Because I've seen it. I've used with these people. I've seen them die. You know, these people have died in drug dens. So... You know, it's uh, it's fundamental. It's fundamental, as I said. It's, it's we do nothing, we fall short, we leave the kids vulnerable. We do something, then we know they've got a chance to get through that minefield. That's all. You know, like and safe, uh, like go on. Safe safeguarding is like, you know, whenever we're working with a school, like whenever we're, you know, safeguarding when we're trying to when I'm trying to get on a, a tender of a local authority, safeguarding is the the, the most important thing 
and this, you know, like not, I'm trying to word this in the right way, but you're not educating. School isn't just about maths and science. You know, it's about preparing young people for life. Life, you know, not life 50 years ago, life in 2021. And if it's a primary age, like you say, if it's a primary age pupil, you know, it's even further in advance. And these, my, my kind of fear is through talking to people like yourself and a couple of other people's people recently. And, you know, we, because of the type of schools we work with, we tend to work with quite vulnerable young people because of the schools we're in. But my kind of concern is through talking to people is a lot of people maybe think because, because of lockdowns and because of people not going out as much, there's not as much stuff going along, got, got happening. But the more people I speak to, they're kind of just saying, we need, everyone needs to up it even more because there's mm. so much bubbling away. 100%. Even, even more. But people think because we're all locked in and we're all, you know, but, you know, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's my... It's quite my, scary. I'll tell you what's happening. I was having a chat with a friend earlier. This stuff is bubbling away. You've said it. You spoke to other professionals. This stuff, look, we're getting kids 13 killing each other in lockdown. Whereas, you know, so you've got to think, you know, people being to be locked away at home with their families, watching Netflix and baking. Mm. They're not they're out stabbing each other, selling drugs. So when this lid comes off and this lockdown finishes, it's all going to spill over. They run to the streets, the pubs open, the drug dealers, they do, you know. And you're looking, you're thinking, please God, it doesn't, but is it going to get worse? You know, because it's not going to, it's not gone anywhere, is it? It's not gone away. So as I said, it's 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 we I'll use that magic number of 10. Four to clock 10 years, if we don't do nothing, it's gonna get worse. If we look at every 10-year-old in the country and educate them, then we can stabilise it. You know, things have um, taken some kind of positives away from the situation we're all in now, you know, for you to be able to, I'm sure, like, and when once this is over, I'd love to come and kind of see one of your talks in the school. And, hope, and, and, yeah. and hopefully, hopefully through this podcast, some of the people that I'm connected with on different platforms and can kind of get in touch. But the power of doing things like this, like a Zoom call, you know, you could you could be in East London this morning and Birmingham this afternoon and somewhere else because you don't have to do the traveling. So actually it's a really good time, isn't it? To, it's massive, but to, they're not. They're just they're just giving kids online maths, English, PE, and like, okay, that's part of the curriculum. That's what they're paid to do. That's what schools are about. But you know, while these kids are sitting at home and they're still as vulnerable, you know, oh, I've got a talk on Tuesday with uh, all boys school in Buckinghamshire. Year 10, I think they are, you know? Um, I've done a few online stuff. Okay, it's not, you know, if, if it's a better, you know, it's rather than do it than not do it. I prefer to go into schools, which I will do eventually. But yeah, all these missed opportunities. I'm sitting there some days doing nothing. And my girlfriend says, it, you know, like, you know, you could be doing so much work from Zoom, from, from, from home, educating, you know, hundreds of kids a day, hundreds. Mm. And I'm trying to let people know when they'll see on Tuesday, I put it on my Twitter. I've done a workshop. They clearly know I'm doing stuff online. They clearly know I'm doing it. But it just seems that everyone's setting their ways now. Academics, online teaching, COVID. That is it. You know, it's, it's very dull. It's very light. And then it's like, okay, moving forward, I'm very grateful that I've got a portfolio and I've got schools that obviously are going to get in touch when kids go back. 
schools in Reading where the stabbing was have contacted me, schools all over. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not far from Birmingham at the minute. You know, I had a chat with a woman who's going to get me to schools. I'm just networking all the time. And then if people want any evidence of what happened to me is true, go on the website, paulhannaford.com. There's pictures there. You see them of yeah. my horrific injuries. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not just, this isn't just words. This is real. This is real. You know, I had a lot of experience, 23 years of everything that's fundamental today. So what I went through all them years, today is fundamental to all kids. Addiction, alcoholism, knife crime, gangs, homelessness, all what I went through for many years. Um, so yeah, look, if two people from watching this podcast work in education and they go, oh, maybe I've got to be a bit more responsible and I've got a duty of care and I do understand what safeguarding means. I'm not judging them. See, people think I start to point fingers at them and say, you should be doing this. I'm not telling you what to do. It's your job. I'm just trying to say that, you know, this is going on now. So let's do something collectively. Let's get together. Show a little bit of love to all these kids because they are vulnerable. Yeah, I, I agree, Paul. And, you know, like I say, when I, when I first started this podcast, I, in all honesty, I didn't, I didn't have a, a kind of vision of, if I'm being completely honest, of having this conversation with someone like yourself who'd been through so much life experience and now, now doing what you're doing. But like the power of things like social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, going on what you said, if, if one school listened to this podcast and thinks, you know what, we're going to check Paul out, go on your website, contact you, this podcast has achieved much That's more it. than if, if, one, if, one million percent if, if, if it finishes tomorrow like the podcast has done more than i you know this started as a i get an idea in my head and I'm like right i'm going to go with it and i'm in and then i'm like right how am i going to figure this that that's my personality that's that's how i've yeah. always been like if it genuinely if there's any schools listening and you want to see kind of evidence of what paul's been through what he's kind of experienced have a look at his website have a look at some of the stuff like get in touch with him see if you can like get something in, in like get something arranged with your your school another school a group of schools whatever it is because i think it's like the power of educating young people on this stuff by someone who's been through things someone who's come out the other side and is, is living proof of the damage it can do he like he can he can help he can make a massive difference and like i kind of applaud you for thank you the kind of stuff you've you've been through i think I think it's quite incredible. Like, well, I'm uh, constantly networking, moving forward. I've got a portfolio. You know, as I said, I've got to keep reminding everyone in the world there's a problem still. And as you said, there might be one head teacher who will go on the podcast, watch it and go, OK, um, you know, I, I realise that there's a problem and maybe I need to be a bit more responsible and maybe I need to utilise my safeguarding issues and use PSHE properly and get this guy in to speak to my kids. You know, I've got enough evidence. I spoke to half a million kids. So I visited hundreds of schools, primary, secondary. Mm-hmm. And, and as a result of this podcast, if I got to speak to 100 kids, 10 kids, 1,000, 5,000, what a great podcast. Uh, yeah. And, like, and as I said, I'm not trying to plug my book on here. If you want to know any, any evidence, you know, what's going on in the world, it's in here. And I can show you the pictures. And, you know, it's like, uh, let's have a little look. Where are they gone, pictures? So you've got like, all the, uh, you know, there's, there's my old injuries and the pictures and, the, you know, my legs and the maggots in them. I don't know if you can see that properly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, that's what's in this book. Blood and guts and, and, and hope that these kids don't live like I did because they can. 
Mm. They can, you know. This is all about stabilising harm in our communities, this book, and taking responsibility for our future generation. That's what this book's about. Not, all right, I'm in it, but so everything else is. Yeah. So, you know, I'll get, I'll, I'll send you a copy to let your son read it when he's 11. <laughs> yeah, and you read it and you look and go, Dad, what's happened? You know, because, you, know, you know, I love football. I'm sure your boy likes football. And, you know, kids, it's just life, isn't it? That's yeah. all it is. It's all life. But look, um, yeah, I just do what I can. I mean, I even had a parent from a talk this morning, you know, a friend of my girlfriend, and she got back to her about two hours ago and said, oh, my daughter got the tail end of Paul's talk today. And uh, can we set up a, a kids and mums uh, podcast? So, they, you know, it's, it won't be in school, but parents are worried now. So what they're doing is the parents, they want to come and listen to me and bring their kids on the podcast while they yeah. sit at home. You know, this is, this is, what, it's, this is what it's coming to now. We're having the parents are just having to sit their kids down because they're worried about them and do a podcast together. So it's like one big, mm. which is great. I love it. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Look, Paul, like, and I've said it a few times, but generally, like, I think the, the kind of journey you've been on is, is is a journey that would break a lot of people. So, like, I kind of applaud you. Yeah, on that and Applaud you on that. You know, Thank you. I think the work, the work you're doing in schools is like, you you can't put a, a value on it financially or that you know you, no. you can't. It's it's so important. So, like, generally, when I started this podcast. This was never in, even in my mind. This kind of conversation was going to happen. But if there's a school listening out there, and you know you want to want to have a chat with Paul, links to his website will be in the notes. I know you're 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 following on Twitter is pretty pretty yeah. impressive as a, as a newbie to Twitter. I'm trying to find my way on there, but that's all right. I'm on a, uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. So you know, if people want to find the work on there, feel free. You know, at Paul Hannaford. So the evidence is there in black and white. But look, I just I appreciate you asking me. And as I said, moving forward, um, there might be one person in the next year, month, two, three weeks, watch this and go, okay, let's get him in. And mm. that, hallelujah, thanks, thank, thank God, you know, brilliant. We got into a school, we're doing something positive. Absolutely, I completely agree. Paul, thanks very much for coming on. Yes, and you're very welcome. And uh, thanks for asking me and say, moving forward, anything else, feel free to get in touch with me on Twitter or via email. And I've just opened my LinkedIn again, you know, which my other half yeah. helped me. So, yeah, great. Good, man. All right, Cheers, have a lovely Paul. weekend, Thanks Jeff. Cheers, See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.